internet. What's up? This is the Combat Jack Show. Shit. CombatJackShow.com. This is your man, Combat Jack. What's up, What's internet? Up? Yo, first and foremost, I want to give out a shout out to Dallas Penn and his punk ass. We sitting here waiting for him. Really? And this motherfucker sitting home talking about I sent you a message. Pants are off. You know what I'm saying? It's fucking 942 in the evening. Nuts. You know what I'm saying? I'm about to have a show. This motherfucker said I left you a message. I look on the iPhone premium peak. Left me a message at 902. What kind of fuckboy shit what? is that? Yo, internets. If y'all miss Dallas Penn on this episode, yo, hit him with the illest hate tweets. That motherfucker ain't shit. That's some fuckboy shit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Dallas, I'm always riding with you. I always got your back. But for real, my dude... Fuck boy. Not even not even fucky bird. Fuck boy. Hashtag fuck boy with an eye. Yo, what up, premium P? Oh uh, man, what's going on, comment? You, you turned the fuck up. I'm turned the fuck up, man, because I'm gonna tell you why I'm gonna turn the yeah, fuck yeah, up yeah, yeah, I'm listening, right I'm now, man. You know, every year, you know what I'm saying? You know my kids, it's not no secret that my kids go to like private school and I'm fucking broke because I spent all my money on fucking private school. And every year it's the same shit. Back to school night. You know what I'm saying? My kid, my son, my, my sixth grader is the only black kid, the only black boy in his entire grade. Nice. Right? That ain't nice. No, it's... it's, it's That's not nice. It's very nice that he's there. That he's yeah, it's it. nice that he's hanging out with the 1%, but it's not nice. Well... So, what gets me hot... Okay. Is I fucking... You, you gotta go through all the classes mm-hmm. and have like a 10-minute presentation with the teachers and shit about the subjects and what they're gonna be teaching... You know, this year. So I, every year I get hot because I sit in the history class and they talk about this year we'll learn about China. You know what I'm saying? And, and Marco Polo and Rome. The kids love Rome because they love the gladiators. And then we'll go and do Islamic studies and then center around Europe and why they became the most dominant culture in, 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 in world history. And I'm sitting at, sitting there, I'm the only black dude in there, I'm like, where the fuck is Africa? Yeah, where is it? Where's Africa? That sounded like a carnival cruise. How the fuck are y'all not teaching shit about Africa? Y'all not teaching shit about Timbuktu? Y'all not teaching shit about Carthage? Like Hannibal? Like, like we got no, like, like motherfuckers just popped up in 1964 and be like, give us free? Mm. So I'm sitting there hot. And he's, you know, they don't know I'm hot. And I got to smile in front of all these white people. And, and at the end of the session, I always fuck with the teacher. I'm like, yo, are y'all going to really talk about Africa? Well, you know, when we touch upon Islam, we're going to talk about Islamic influences in North Africa. And I'm looking at her like, mm. bitch. I mean, she's not a bitch, but I'm just like, yo, yeah, that, yeah. yo that shit is so frustrating. Well, why are they talking about uh, Nelson Mandela? Martin Luther King. They'll probably talk about Malcolm him in like, in, like, in like current history. But like, yo, I mean... Understand, and this goes out to my white, you know what I'm saying, you white, you know I fuck with y'all, y'all know I fuck with y'all, and y'all fuck with the combat jack, but don't that shit get y'all pissed off that they're teaching all of us misinformation? Like, we, we only learn a fraction of world history? Like, am I crazy? Not open, listen, I, I agree with that, open your minds, and, and there's no black teachers in that school? There's one black teacher, but he fucking teaches math. That fuck. I mean, he's. I like the dude. He's good, but he teaches math. He doesn't teach history. And he, but but it's not even the teacher's fault. It's the correct. Like when I spoke to the teacher about Africa, she looked like she wanted to faint. Like, what the fuck are you talking like it about? Was a problem? Not even that was a problem. She's like, what the fuck are you talking about? So you There's don't... no Africa in history. But they but they could talk on it. There's no fucking Africa in American history, and that shit pisses me off, man. You know, I was at this um shop. A couple of weeks ago, they just opened. You got to check this out. It's called Leisure Life. 
They just opened it up on Myrtle's, this black dude that owns it. And when you go in, it's kind of like this, you know, like kind of like rustic. And they got mm. a lot of like kind of like the antique, like polo type, explorer type Classics. shit. It's classic. It's classy shit. It's classy. It's classy shit. But when you start looking like kind of shit is kind of like he's got a lot of like African shit in there. So he showed me this, this desert boot, which looked beautiful. Like the, the, like Clark's, you know, like the Clark's oh, Clark. desert okay, boot. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So he starts breaking down the history about how the desert boot originated in Namibia mm. and um, Clark from Clark's went mm. down to Namibia, saw the desert boot and he's like, ah, I shall appropriate that. So he <laughs> fucking took the boot to England Gave it to like the shoemakers or whatever, the leather masters or whatever the fuck you call them, fuck boys. Many and, and they 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 created the desert boot. And he got his fame for creating the desert boot when the shit was created in Africa centuries ago. Like my shit, my shit was blown because it's like, yo, if something as simple as the Clark's desert boot originated in Africa, what the fuck else originated in Africa that we, that don't, we, know, that, that we don't know about every day? Mm-hmm. Are those headphones that you're wearing right now? Those Sony's headphones that you're wearing right now? Did that shit originate? This shit is driving me crazy. Me I'm, look, I'm looking. Yo, I'm white people, y'all got to help me out, man. This was made y'all, in China. Y'all got to help me out, man. Like, I hate misinformation. Y'all got to hate information. It's not a racial thing, man. But at the end of the day, we are all being robbed of how this history that we're being fed and our kids are being fed is just so fucking whitewashed, man. I just, I, I just hate white supremacy, man. Like, I fucks with y'all, but I can't fuck with this white supremacy no more. Yeah, yeah. Let me change the subject. Yo, Pete, man, you got a big shout out this morning. Oh, really? I was talking to one of my boys who was like this real serious dude, serious black dude, Burr. right? And he don't like n- nothing. Okay. He don't like white people. He don't like <laughs> black people. Like I'm like, how you like that Jay-Z shit? Fuck Jay-Z. Like, okay, for real. Okay, like, okay. He don't like shit. Like, he's in, getting into politics, and he's got the politicians scared of him. And Powerful dude. Okay. So a year ago, he was like, yo, man, that fucking premium Pete, man, you got to get him off the show. Because mm. he's not, you know, he's not really bringing anything to the table with his crazy shit. And, you know, we was going through our tense moments yeah, okay. last year. So the brother calls me this morning. We're talking about all types of shit. And he's like, yo, man, like, I really fucks with Premium Pete, man. Like, that's a special dude. Special Eddie or a special? No, nah, special dude. He was he was giving you your props in okay. terms of what you bring to the show. And I just wanted to share that with you, man. I appreciate that. What's Especially his name? since fuckboy Dallas Penn is in here. What's his name? I never told you his name. Okay, well, whatever his name is, whoever said that, I appreciate you, man. Salute to you, and thank you for believing in me. Even when you didn't believe in me, thank you, thank you for hanging on. You know? you know, a lot a lot of people believed in you, but some people wasn't believing in you, man. Yeah, I mean, listen, you know. Uh, You're I, a special kind of dude, man. It's an, I'm, I'm just another piece of the puzzle of this uh, legacy, man. Yes, this this combat jack this show. This spaceship, man. The spaceship. Moving all around. You had me on a scavenger. Yo, hunt, I'm man. so mad right now, Dallas Penn. I got to get my mind off of that shit. I want to give a shout out to Jazz Fly. She told me not to say this, and I can't really get into details, but she's working on a fucking deal. Some simple shit. She, yo, she's working on a deal, and I want to salute her, because Jazz Fly always finds a fucking deal. Yeah. I, I went out the other night because of her. Don't, don't know. Don't, she doesn't want to talk about no specifics. No, no. I'm saying okay. she invited me to baggage claim. Yeah. She had like, so I brought I heard my, that movie I, was bullshit. It was all right. It was bullshit. I, I, I like, I like, I like. It was the, a bullshit black movie. Yeah, you took your girlfriend. And I took my daughter. You took your daughter. What yeah, she I took think? My daughter. She liked it. She, she liked, liked it? it. Yeah. You know, you internet. You know, Premium Pete is dating a fine Nubian queen. <laughs> Did y'all know that? Oh, How's your fine shit. Nubian queen? I mean, she's doing Premium good, Pete. Man. She's doing good. Man. Huh? She's doing good. Racist Pete is dating a fine Nubian 
queen, man. Um, yeah, I mean, I I have dated many black women. Really, in my life, yeah. Well, why are you putting that extra syrup in your voice? Today, um, <laughs> I have my one hundred seven WB or ninety eight point seven. Actually, used to you know a lot of them disc jockeys on. They used to have the. Uh, the, you know, welcome to 98.7. So, do you prefer black women, man? Absolutely. And Spanish. Which one? I'm married. I, I was married to a Spanish To woman. a Puerto Rican. Puerto Rican, yeah. And then she pulled out the switchblade, stabbed you uh, in your thigh. Then you started <laughs> doing drugs, and that's how you ended up in jail. I don't know what the fuck you're Which talking about. Which came first, the marriage the or the domestic jail? violence? Which, Which came, came first, man? Did you, uh, were you incarcerated, or were you married first? Um, well, there was multiple incarcerations, so... Um, Nah, I mean, the marriage came first, man. Right. Was she ride or die? Like, Papi, you she, go to jail, I fucking stab somebody. Nah, nah, she was a good... Man, that sounds like Mexican, man. I don't... Yo, how do you know? I'm, I don't she know. She was a good woman. She yeah. was a good woman, but things didn't just work out, and we were married. What, what happened, man? Um, Just, we didn't see eye to eye. About what? Um, Just, just you know what happened? I'll explain to you. She had two other kids. Uh-huh. Uh, before me, Damn. and uh, from a young Did age. Did you like the kids? Yeah, yeah, they were good kids. Did you ever feel like that, these ain't my kids? Let me pinch nah, this were, motherfucker. They were young, and I supported them. I took care of all of them. Right, you know, you would hug uh, them, and they would let them sit in your lap and shit. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I would take care of them, and you know, make sure that they had everything that they needed right. because their parent, their fathers weren't there. Like I literally brought those kids to uh, to uh, jail right. to see their their father. I didn't even know him. And I left money in his commissary How'd account. the father feel when you what his kids to he see? He felt that was some G shit. Did he know? put his fist to the glass? I even left him glass? some porno books. Did he put his fist to the glass? I'd be like, <laughs> you got the juice now, man. <laughs> nah, nah, nah. Yo, <laughs> what yo. was it? Was he white? Yo, nah, Puerto Rican. Yo, Puerto Rican. You know what's so funny? This is the most uncomfortable situation. I went to go visit him. I, I went to go bring the kids and her to jail right. to visit him. Right. Yo, we sat on the table, and I, I literally brought tons of quarters, and I turned my chair, because I didn't know him. Right. So I turned my chair and let the kids and her bullshit with him, while all the money, like, I put, like, $30 on it, and they were buying, like, all the, the, the snacks from the vending machines M &Ms and shit. M&Ms and Skittles yeah. and shit. And I left money in his commissary, and I bought him porno books. I'm serious. And, 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 and he, to this day, when he came home... uh Never ever gave me any type of issue. That's like, dope, like, man. And 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 uh, but yeah, just things didn't work out. We were married for like three years, and and we just got divorced. And things fucking didn't work premium out. Pete with a Nubian queen. I, oh, like I said, I'll be honest with you. Um, I dated uh, probably I would say uh, maybe two Italian women, two white women my whole life. Really, everything else was Dominican, Spanish, Russian. Asian, now, 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 when black. you put when you put the Latina woman. And the black woman, like which which one do you really prefer, man? I mean, I know you got to say the black woman now, but for real, man, um, this is a combat jack show for real, my dude. Yeah, I mean, listen, ah, Bobby. There's, there, 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 I mean, I, man, you put me in that. Yeah, there's Bobby. Not, there's nothing like that, man. There's, that's Spanish love, you know. Yo, yo, internet's. Yo. You know what time it is. Yo, yo, what what, what, what did Kane say last week? He said, the best pussy you ever had. Is the puss, best pussy you never had. Yeah. Yo, listen, man. I want to give a big shout out to Big Daddy K, man. That was a great look last week, man. It, it just really, you know what I'm saying? Like, and it hit the feature page on the, iTunes. Shout out to iTunes. Like, we're on the front page of iTunes, man. You know, podcasts and the whole nine. But I really want to give out a shout out to Kane, man. Because, you know, we've interviewed a lot of great people on this show, man. We've interviewed people that I've been a fan of. We've interviewed people that we don't necessarily fuck with. But we grew to fuck with. We interviewed a lot of great people. But I got to say, from my era, Kane is one of those dudes that I really consider a legend. A true legend. You know what I'm saying? We've had cats in here. We've thrown, I admit we've thrown the word legend around. About, you know what I'm saying? But when you talk about Big Daddy Kane. That motherfucker was a legend, and he was sitting in this room, and we built, and he had a great time, man. Like, as a matter of fact, 
he DM, he um texted me today and okay. he was like, yo, the show was two hours. It's like, my dude, it was two hours. And, and it just shows you how much he enjoyed it, man. And that really, I would say out of everyone I interviewed, that was probably my favorite interview. I'm not sure if it was the best interview. If you know, everybody's always talking about top five interview, top five interview. But to me, that was my best interview. Well, we're going to have to wait for Matt Gio uh, to go on AtLinstrom.com and hit us with the top five for 2013. Top, top but I'll tell you one thing. In the books already, this Kane episode is legendary. The DMC episode is legendary. The Foxy Brown episode is legendary. All of that was this year. Yeah, is, 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 is the Dame episode Dame Dash is this year. Yo. Was Ebro this year or last year? End of December. End of December. So Ebro made last year. That that was incredible. Right, right, right. Listen, the, the Kane one fell right in that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think it was great. I think Dallas, honestly, uh, I listened to it twice, right? Dallas was great in the way he just is such a native New Yorker and just how he knew Brooklyn and how he just knew and, and, and the way you were. And I'll be honest with you, it's amazing how DMC and Kane to me just... They they told a story. They never stopped telling a story. Like you didn't even have to do a full interview. These guys just kept going. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Telling gems. But it was a great episode. Internets. If you haven't listened to it already, man, do yourself a service, man, and, and listen to the Big Daddy Kane um, episode. I can't even believe I'm talking to him on the phone right now. That's like, crazy. You know, like, I, you, you know what? When I listened to it, and you were like, yo, I can't believe I'm. I, I understand what you mean. Right. And I was nervous. Like yeah. if you listen to the even if I stutter, I'm gonna still come. If on. you listen to the beginning of the, of the interview, I'm like. Ah. My mind was blown. I was like, I don't know what, what you asked, Big Daddy Kane. Yeah, we got more legends coming, man. Trust me. Ooh, Big Daddy Kane shit opened up a lot of doors, man. Shout out to our 1.3 million subscribers. Oh, I want to also mention this, man. Uh, you know, executive producer Chris Morrow and I had a meeting today with this company called Laughster. Okay. And Laughster is this company that services podcasts. And what they do is they, <laughs> they, they do this research and they, they find your super fans, cats that oh, wow. really fuck with your podcast. They find your fan base. They find your fan base. Like, but like, not just your fan base, but the cats that fuck hard body karate with you. And they, then they, they provide this thing where there's like this auction and then cats could auction like $5 and this and that. And then they get to watch the show live as we're being, hold on, that's my beer, my dude. That's Excuse my beer. Me. They watch the show live and then they get to ask questions as you're recording. So I think um, a couple of episodes down, we're going to. Uh, I would love that. That, that do sounds this. dope. Did I explain it correctly? Did you understand what yeah, I was Yeah, that sounds dope. So, internets, in a couple of weeks, you guys, uh, a few select of you will be able to auction and watch us as we do this shit live. And we're going to have a special guest in here. I can't tell you who yet. Do they have? A, do they have? A, sorry about that. Not to cut you up, but do they have a translator for this? Like just in case Robbie Uncut wants to. No, it's not. Robbie Uncut will not be in the fucking building. What's up, Robbie? Listen, man, we got a great show lined up for you today, man. We kind of changed it around. Last week we had Big Daddy Kane. This this week we're going into the literary lane, man. We got Adam Man's back in the building. If y'all don't know, man, Adam is one of our most celebrated. Authors and he brought writers. somebody with him. He brought J. Period, DJ J. Period, with him. So you know we're gonna go in a literary lane right now. We're gonna bring y'all some intelligence, man. Listen, internet, you're tuned into the Combat Jack Show, the Combat Jack Show dot com. Fuck your radio, fuck boy Cheer. Dallas Penn. Cheer. Fuck your radio, fuck boy Dallas Cheer. Penn. Internet's right now. If you listen to this shit right now, hashtag fuck boy Dallas Penn. Fuck boy F U K B O I Dallas Penn. Yeah. 
Trip. Yo, what up? It's Eric, aka Tall Trees, aka Long Long Furs. Yo, what up? It's Jeff, aka Lil Gucci Mane, aka Burrito. Shit, what up? It's Premium P, aka Racist P, aka Sexist P, aka Jackhammer, aka the featured page on XNX.com. One day I will get there. Right now, you head on over to the iTunes page, Combat Jack Show. Subscribe, rate, check out all our episodes. Tell a friend to tell a friend. It's the real. <laughs> Internet, you're tuned into the Combat Jack Show, the CombatJackShow.com. If you're listening to this episode right now, please do everyone a service and tweet out right now, right now, hashtag fuckboy Dallas Penn. F-U-K-B-O-I Dallas Penn. We will no longer tolerate his form of fuckery on the Combat Jack Show. Anyway. Are we gonna are we gonna take the show right now? Are you went with B O I? Fuck boy. Are you trying to go like big boy? Like, like nah, outcast? just just fuck boy. Just extra emphasis. Okay. You know what I'm saying? With some pizzazz to that shit. Yo, okay. internets. I want to welcome to the Combat Jack Show, Adam Man's back and DJ J. Period. Period. What's going on, gentlemen? Cooling, man. Yeah. Talking about the Rumple Tilskins in the in the green, <laughs> in room. The green room for like Hip-hop. twenty minutes. Like yeah. what? What song did they have? The Rumple Tilskins. Well, attitude is fucked up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well. I mostly remember them from their, like, from Buster mentioning them on um, Zone Coasters. Okay. We were, like, running down. We're talking about how, like, I know to this day, like, the names of 35 of Cool Mo D's homeboys and mm-hmm. shit and how hip-hop isn't like that anymore. Like, I have that, you know, like, like on like, Wild Wild West, right. he break, and, and, like, we memorized that shit. Yes. Yeah. There was nothing else to do, you know? <laughs> it's funny, because last week when we had uh, uh, Big Daddy Kane Dallas, one of his first questions was, like, to, to Kane was, like, yeah. yo, how's Hawk? Yeah, how's Mad Pig. Money Murph? How's Mad Money? You know what I'm saying? Like you yeah. were asking yeah. who these yeah. dudes were, man. So how you how you guys feeling, man? Good, man. It's feeling good. good. Yeah, feeling so, good. So, feeling so, great. So you know, let's introduce. Why don't you introduce yourself to the internet and tell them exactly <laughs> what you've done, man? You're an author of many books. Uh, You're celebrated. Yeah. Please yeah. go to fuck to sleep. Right? Was it? What's, what's the name it's of it? Called that? Go to Fuck to Sleep. Go to Fuck yeah. to Sleep. A children's book. I mean, kind of, sort of. You know, I don't recommend you read it to your actual children. But <laughs> no, nah. I what? mean. You know, you're a lawyer, combat. You know what? 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 Like, I, like <laughs> there might a, be like liability. As a lawyer, I've never you... told my kids go to fuck to sleep. My I mean, kids have heard that many a time. They, they probably cool. heard, shut the fuck up. <laughs> I, you know, it's funny because when that book came out, we but, had censorship battles in really random, far off places like Australia. Like there was this parent, this group called Family First. New Zealand, actually, pardon me, New Zealand. Like Uber and, Christians? Yeah, exactly. Right. And they put out this press release where they were like, while this book may be safe and even amusing for normal, well-adjusted parents, in the hands of dysfunctional, aggressive parents, it could be a real danger to children. So you were a threat. Like, yo, in the hands of aggressive, dysfunctional people. They're like, not reading this shit to their kids. A spoon is a threat, <laughs> right. you know what I mean? But they're like, not, no. <laughs> and aggress- they they're not reading to their kids. Aggressive, dis- exactly, aggressive, yeah. dysfunctional parents are not reading... Bedtime stories no. to their kids, man. No. So, 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 tell us about that book, man, because it, it seems like you know, out of the all of the great work that you've done, that's been the most <laughs> celebrated. Am I right? Certainly, yeah. Okay, yeah. I mean, you know, generally, what I write is literary fiction. I'm right. concerned with things like race and class and identity in and hip hop and, and graffiti and gentrification and the whole yes, nine, all of those things. Right. Um, but those things don't hit the zeitgeist, don't resonate like a simple, honest statement that every parent in the world seemingly, except the ones who, you know, want to lock me up can relate to. So that book came out two and a half years ago Mm -hmm. now. Um, and we got really lucky with it. I mean, I wrote it on a whim. 
in one afternoon. What what inspired you to write that book? Man? My lovely daughter Vivian, mm-hmm. uh, who was two at the time and didn't really, terrible twos. Yeah, man. She throwing shit around. She wasn't wiling like that. She was. I mean, she she was great. She just wouldn't go to sleep, and right. it wasn't that she was crying and screaming. It's like I mean, you got kids like. At that age, they're absorbing and assimilating so much information that to ask them to like wind down and pass out on cue doesn't really make any no, sense. That, so she would just work. be like, her brain just couldn't spin down. Right. Like the hard drive of her isn't, brain. Isn't it crazy <laughs> when kids, like internets who have kids, you guys can relate. Yes. When kids get uber tired, that's when they go batshit crazy. Yeah. Like they don't want to go to sleep. They want to fuck up your whole existence. Absolutely. Yeah. So I wandered out of her bedroom after about two and a half hours one night and made a joke on Facebook, like, look out for my forthcoming children's book, go the fuck to sleep. Right. And then I didn't even intend to write it. I was just like, ha, ha, ha. And like six people were like, ha, ha, ha. And then I started thinking about it. Like, what would that were, book look like? Were you smoking like? on the ganj? <laughs> a little bit? Some of that kush? OG kush? Yo, I was in that bedroom so long, I don't think I, you know, I probably... Yeah. The shit went stale while I was in there. You, know? okay. so you weren't making your fourth kid in that bedroom? <laughs> How many kids you have? Just the one that I know no, of. No, but he was sitting with the daughter. Are you, what are yeah. you talking about? Making no, well, listen, you know, people... What kind of, he's not a fucking fucking parents tell aggressive, their kids, dysfunctional... I don't know what he is. I'm learning. I'm learning just like the internets are going to learn. <laughs> right. But I'll be honest with you, people tell their kids to go to fuck to sleep for many reasons. Yeah. They may be working on their next kid. A lot of reasons. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I made that joke. And then I started thinking about what it would actually look like and sound like to flip the conventional narrative of a children's book into this kind of more honest story. Right. Um, and probably two weeks later, I sat down and did it, you know, just to see if I could really um, and try to be very honest about the emotional landscape of a parent in that situation. And um, didn't really even intend to publish it at the time, read it aloud to friends and family and eventually sent it. And everybody thought the shit was funny. So right. eventually I sent it to my man, Johnny Temple at Akashic Books Um who has a couple of kids and he also was like this shit is hilarious i don't think i want to publish it and i was like yeah you're probably right you probably shouldn't and then like his wife read it and she was like you have to publish this wow. and, mm. you know because at the time we just thought we were probably shitty parents right. like we thought it was funny because we're bad dudes right. you know what i mean and then a, a wider and wider circle of people like read it and it seemed to transcend all kinds of boundaries and everybody was into it and you know we were still on the fence like i remember johnny going to his local bookstore green light books in fort green shout out to them and asking them like would you carry this book right and they were like yeah yeah this is great we right. love it it's hilarious where would you shelve it and they were like because we, we didn't know the answer to that and they were like in the it's parenting definitely not, section yeah, definitely in the parenting section and me and johnny were like oh there's a parenting section <laughs> right confirming the earlier thesis that we're just bad parents right. um and you know eventually so you never decided, got the book what to do when you're pregnant um you know it's funny because the first screenwriter that was hired to write um, the adaptation of Go the Fuck to Sleep, because somehow that's going to be a movie. Uh, uh, wait, 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 wait. Yeah. That's, wait, hold on, hold on, wait, wait, wait. wait. <laughs> yeah. Rewind that shit. Yeah. Is well, going to be a movie? Yeah. I mean, maybe. You know, we sold it to Fox 2000. They seem pretty serious about making a movie. What kind of movie would that be? I, dude, I have no idea. Is it like... Probably a shitty one. Right. Like, probably. Like, is this going like, to be a, like a, a black-themed movie? Is it going to be... A, <laughs> like, what kind of movie do you make? Go to fuck to sleep. I mean, they just bought a piece of the zeitgeist. Like right. we were lucky enough to really hit and 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 sell a lot of books, and a lot of people know about it. And Sam Jackson did the audio book and stuff. How did that happen, man? Because that's the um, first time I heard about the book. Yeah, I didn't know about the yeah. book until I saw the shit on on YouTube, and it was Sam. And then he read that shit on David Letterman he and did. the whole night. Yeah. How did that happen, man? Um, we sold the audio rights to a company called Audible, and we gave them a very short list of like potential audiobook readers. So right. the list was Sam. 
um, Werner Herzog, who ended up also recording a version. Right. I had Slick Rick on the on the list. Uh-huh. They weren't really they weren't feeling me on that. Did, did they not know who Slick? Rick was? I don't was? think they knew who Slick right. Rick was. Um, and uh, who else was on my list? Um, Christopher Walken was the okay. other guy on the list, which is which is smooth. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. yeah, and it, and and that never happened. But Kevin Pollak read it as Christopher Walken, really? which is kind of cool. You have um, audio of that? I do. Yeah, you own audio of that. I got that. Wow, yeah, it's on the interwebs. Okay, you know? I got to check that shit out. Um, but yeah, like. What happened was the book leaked. I did a reading of the book in Philly, where I was living at the time, right. in April uh, of 2011. And the book wasn't supposed to come out until uh, October. Okay. I did the reading. People fell out, and they went home and started pre-ordering it. And by the next day, it was in Amazon's top 100. And, like, you know, like, I write literary fiction. Before the shit was p- printed. Yeah. Right. It, didn't, it didn't exist. Right. Like, top 100 is some shit. Top 1,000. Were, were they like, making digital copies at the time? or? Um... Nothing existed, but we had a PDF that we had sent to booksellers okay. to try to get them involved, right. like get them on our side. And by the end of that week, it was number one on Amazon. Wow. And a week after that, the PDF leaked and started ricocheting around the internet. How do you feel about that? We were terrified. Right. Like we thought we were dead in the water. You know, like this one woman. You felt like a rapper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was looking for the bootleggers. Like, let me flip some tables over or something. You know? Are they selling your book in Chinatown? Were they? <laughs> yeah. Well, they're selling it in China. <laughs> in Chinese? <laughs> yeah. How do you say go to fuck to sleep in Chinese? Man, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Mm-hmm. I don't, don't, don't. Stop. Nah. Yeah. Okay. No MacBook. Yeah. You, <laughs> I, you know, I wish that we had at least gotten Redman to do the Korean version. Right, of that course, of course. So, so I'm sorry, man. I interrupted you. Oh. And internets, I always interrupt my guests. All right? Fucky Bergs, I always inter- interrupt my guests. So going back to Sam Jackson. like, Oh, yeah. So Audible approached him, and he was like, cool, I'm with it. And he recorded. You know, it's, it's like the book is so short. He was like, on Wednesday, he was like, I'm with it. And by like Friday, he was on Letterman reading it. You know but you I mean? say he's with it like that shit is so casual. Well, I mean, it was an amazing moment, right. but we had already kind of blown up at that point. So it wasn't like asking him to jump on an unknown project. It was the number one book in America. Right. So it was kind of a no brainer. And he was smart enough to be like, let's do this. Um, and then he so and are I, you power tripping right now? Like, are you like, fuck you, other writers? Fuck you. I'm always kind of like, fuck you, other writers. OK, you know, hip hop. I mean, I mean, uh, yeah, like I'm competitive with other writers. I have, you know, like my circles of people I think are super dope and I ride for them and I do gigs with them and I read them and I talk about them. But I mean, there's a real problem, which is that most literature, like most everything is garbage. You know, like people aren't putting in the work. They're not doing. It's funny for me to say this because I'm known as like the guy who did go the fuck to sleep. But like, I'm, you know, like (laughs) I write real books, too. Right. Um. It felt good, man. It felt really good. I mean, it happened at a time when, like, publishing is in a bad way right now. It's been in a bad way for a minute. Bookstores are it's closing. It's been in a bad way for a long time, though. Yeah. I mean, people don't read, and people progressively don't read. don't read. They don't read. Bookstores can't stay open. Publishers are merging with each other. You know, like, you know there's a problem when industry giants are merging. You right. know, like, if Coke and Pepsi form one company, That's a problem. the soda industry's fucked. Right. Random House and Penguin just merge. Mm. You know, like, what does that tell you? So... I mean, it happened for me at a time when I needed something to happen. It was fortuitous. It was lucky. It was a perfect storm. And it continues to be, you know, a great thing. Um, And it's allowed me to run in some lanes that I might not be able to, like, as a screenwriter and even as a novelist. Like, I have a little more uh, leeway and a little more of an ability to do the things that I want to do. And and they they don't include, like, writing sequels to go the fuck to sleep. They include, like 
writing novels about graffiti, you right. know, and talking about race in America. So, you know, it's a really fortuitous thing that happened to me. Um, the book is still like selling. It's crazy. That book is not you know? going to stop selling. Long as people keep having babies, and, and you're making paper, doing I'm doing. You're, right. you're good. Yeah, I'm good. I'm what's, good. What's, what's, the, what's the dumbest shit you've done with your money, man? Oh man, because authors traditionally don't make money. <laughs> I've learned this. Like going from like the legal profession to becoming an right, author, right. I've made no money as a yeah. fucking author. Mon Combat wrote a book. Did you know that? Did I know that? I think we talked about yeah, that. We, yeah, he got yeah. paid. He got paid EBT cards. EBT cards, but like, wow. so, so, what, what's the dumbest shit you did with the your dumb, money? I mean, I, I really wish right now that I had like some truly stupid shit to right. talk about, but I, I, I've been like pretty conservative with it. Okay. Like, I haven't done anything crazy. No you know, extra I mean, shit. You I know, mean, like, like I paid my mortgage down and shit like okay, that. You okay. know, I, I remodeled my bathroom. Wow. You know, I bought a nice car. Right. You know, like, porcelain bowl. Porcelain bowl. <laughs> you got the bidet? What's that? You got the bidet? No bidet. No nah, bidet. I couldn't afford the bidet. That's How like, many copies you know. has, has this sold? Like, um, I, I'm, I mean, I don't know. I'm just learning. Yeah. About We're this at book. Like, a, like a million five. So nice. Fuck! Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And still selling. Still selling. Yeah. Now, do you find yourself being pigeonholed in this in this kind of like category also um because you're a serious writer you're, yeah you're a serious i mean author. i've been very careful not to be i mean yeah. i think what i try to do is spin my brand um in the aftermath of go the fuck to sleep as like look i i hit the zeitgeist with this and i might do it again and you don't know where i might do that it right. might be in a screenplay it might be in a novel it might be in a thriller so like fuck with me in all of these realms realize what i can do and also realize that whatever i do you can now put on the cover of the book, number one New York Times bestselling author, and let me just do the things I want to do. And I've been fairly, it hasn't, the luck has, like, the, the, the brand hasn't run out yet. Like, it might soon. <laughs> right. But, you know, I was You should like, collaborate I mean, on some shit, man. Like, absolutely. Like, Combat Jack loves you, baby. Yeah. Or Combat Jack is your daddy. <laughs> I like that. I like that. <laughs> or, or Combat Jack loves white people. What if we did like Combat Jack paternity tests? <laughs> you know what? I'd be good, man. Yeah. I'd be good. I'd be fucking good, man. EBT. Listen, EBT. Or maybe like go the fuck to sleep Combat Jack roofies. That, that's a little too that's complicated. Too much. Yeah, that's too like for babies. I mean, like you know, as, as a lawyer, he can't now, co-sign that. Now, now, another one of your books that you that, like, one of your serious books that you really, that that brought you a lot of fame and, and acclaim is Angry Black White Boy. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that. Um, yeah, Angry Black White Boy was published in 2005, right? And I, it's a book that I really wrote out of a desire to try to jumpstart a conversation about race and whiteness and hip hop in this country because I felt like. We needed some new language. We needed a new way to try to bring people to the table and talk about these things. Um, what was going on at the time that inspired you to write this? I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a white kid who came up in hip hop in the in the 80s at a time when it was basically and, and not in New York. Right. So it was like from anomalous where, where? Boston. Boston. So it was like ah. it was anomalous to be a white kid in hip hop to be one and not be sent home. Right. Um, meant developing critical race sensibilities and really thinking about what the nature of white privilege and white supremacy in this country were because hip-hop was one of the only sites in american life that forced you to do so that dislocated whiteness from its presumed position of centrality and normality in this country you know if i like you were, that you're using these big words man thanks man i got word you know, of the day yeah centrality or 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 the what's, first what's, one i can't even remember <laughs> pronounce <laughs> i do what i can no. you know um but you understand what he's talking about, right, Pete? Yeah. Okay, good. Um, yeah, I mean, like, to be a white kid in hip-hop in, in Boston in, at that time 
meant grappling with, first of all, whether you had any place in it, whether you belonged there, whether you had a right to be there, um, how tenuous your right was and how uh, it, it could be revoked at any time. And, you know, like you were grappling with what it meant that you loved this music and it was all you wanted to do and be around. Um, but, you know, you and you knew all the words to wake up, even though, you know, Grand Poopa was calling you a white devil. Now, now, now you grew up in Boston. Mm hmm. Uh, in the hood, like how'd no. you, how'd you, no, no, no. I'm what from was your the suburbs. suburbs? So, how'd yeah, you Newton. encounter in the suburbs of Boston? Like, because yeah. I'll Very tell segregated I'll, I'll, city. I will tell you, to me mm -hmm. personally, Boston is the most racist fucking city I've ever been to. It's I the first place, agree. no, it's the, it's the first fucking place as a kid that I remember ever being called the word nigga. Yeah, in Boston. Boston is and bottles followed. Yeah, yeah, Boston is super racist and segregated still. I don't live there anymore, right. but I, I, yeah. And and the paradox of it is that Massachusetts considers itself super liberal, right? Of course. But yeah, Boston is Till that up. bottle cracks you upside your black yeah, head. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think I always had a sense <sighs> of like the, the hypocrisy and the silence around shit like race. People didn't want to talk about it. Um, you know, Brown versus the Board of Education was 1954. Right. Boston desegregated its schools in 1973 which is crazy yeah and there were like people were brawling in the streets people over were pissed it. off so i went to schools public schools that were kind of the recipients the feeder schools for the busing because when they when they desegregated it was like unidirectional it was like let's bus kids from the inner city i.e black kids to the suburbs right. i.e you know the largely white areas so and, and and the white kids were not having that the white parents were not probably having that. not I mean, I mean, the white shit. school districts were not having yeah. it. Right? And, and of course, nobody suggested busing white kids into Mattapan. You know, why, why like, the fuck why, would you why do why that? Would you do that. That's crazy. Who, got, you know? who got free lunch in the cafeteria? That's what I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> who the fuck got free lunch? Because, yeah. Do you know white people? Um, in my cafeteria, it was on the low. Like, you didn't really know. They kept okay. it quiet. Okay. So anyway, so you're in the school and they, they're busting these black kids. Yeah. I mean. And, you know, of course, hip hop was so under the radar. Like mm -hmm. we're talking the mid 80s, the mm -hmm. late 80s. Like it wasn't on the radio. It was on the, the you know, one show at midnight. Right. It wasn't on. There was no it wasn't MTV. On MTV. There was right. no internet. No, you know, yo, yo MTV. It was. It, it was, was no source. Nothing. None of that. Right. None of that. I mean, yeah, right. Even the source was a few years away. Right. Um, so really, the first exposure I had to it was kids would bring tapes. in. Who did you hear first, man? I mean. It was early Run DMC. It okay. was early LL. It was okay. Dean. It was the Fat Boys. It was all that kind of stuff. It's so like the golden, golden age before the golden age. Right, right. Because there's been like 20 golden ages in hip hop. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, I was that kid who would get on the bus and go back to Roxbury and Mattapan with my friends who lived there. Right. And that, and that was, you know, like partly because I wanted to get those tapes and they weren't really like for sale so much near where I live. Certainly not the twelve. So so you were attracted to like the the the, 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 the rhymes, you were attracted to the music, were you were attracted to the people. I was attracted to all of it. I mean I was attracted to the to the the poetry and the politics both, you know? Mm -hmm. Um I'm from But the family. music wasn't that political back then. No, it wasn't. I mean like by eighty six when you had Run DMC doing Proud to be Black right. and shit like that, that touched something in me, mm -hmm. you know? Um, pause. Is that a pause? Pause. No. Okay. No, no that's okay. not a pause. We're pausing that. Really? That, you I, I, you know, I, he, he's you just, become like a conservative. Like no, no, because he's lyrically talking about Run DMC. That you know that touched him. It's, it's a musical sense. I mean, unless an instrument can go up. Run your, DMC actually, an instrument can probably go up your ass somehow. But uh, <laughs> pause. okay, okay. Pause the deputy approved. All right, all right. So I'm sorry. So, that so, is borderline. So, so, I would agree. So, so yeah, Run, Run yeah. DMC touched on your body, and then. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, and, you know, and then like soon after that, the music got super political. Right. right? And it was, you know, that was the only place in a, in a white suburban kid's life that you were going to hear about apartheid, police brutality, Eurocentricity in education. You know, these things were not on the Joanne Chesimard. Joanne Chesimard, right. It was sending you to the library, right? right? Hip-hop was sending you to the fucking library. KRS, Chuck, I mean... Big Daddy. Big Daddy Kane. And then, you know, as as we get into the late 80s and the early 90s, yeah, it's that whole canon, Brand Nubian, X-Clan. I was just saying in the green room, like, judging from what was going on in Boston in 1990, I would have thought X-Clan was double platinum. Mm. Because this is, like you, we were just saying, a segregated, fucked up, racist city. X-Clan was huge in Boston, or right. at least it appeared that way. Cats were dressing that way. Like, I was going to hide. Everybody, I was... Adam, Adam, just, 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 just do me this favor. <laughs> Don't tell me you wore a durag. Nah, I didn't wear okay. a durag. <laughs> All right, good. But I was really trying very hard to figure out a justification for why I might plausibly wear an African medallion. Okay. Never found one. Never right. rocked it. Now, are you getting teased by your white counterparts at the time? Oh, yeah. My last name is Mansback. So I'm in junior high. I'm Mans Black. Mans Black. You know? Okay. And like, I'm not feeling that. I'm now, getting, are, like, are the black kids also teasing you or are they no. fucking. No, because the fascinating thing in my experience of this is that like when a white kid. I mean, okay, like there, there's a lot of like goofy, clownish, dumb ways to like to do it. But if you're if you're sincere and you're like serious and also hip hop is skill based. I was rhyming, you know. You started time. rhyming at the time. Yeah. And what, I, what was your rap name? Oh, man, I had a few. I had a few. Cops. MC Man's Well, I'll back. put it like this. The that, first, that's a pause. Man, Man's Back. I mean, what are you doing with the Man's Back? <laughs> right, anyway, so, I'm sorry. <laughs> you going to pause my whole last name? No, no, really? no, I'm, I'm, no, 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 no. I'm just, yeah, yeah. What was your rap name? Man? I, I'll get to that in a second. Okay. I just want to make one point. I'm interrupting my guests, Internet. And then I'll How embarrass myself with that. But, like, white kids make fun of you when you quote, unquote, act black because when you move from the center to the margins in terms of where privilege is supposed to be located, it freaks out the people who assume they have that privilege. Mm. So a, a white kid moving toward blackness isn't just comical, like the way that it is in stupid movies. It's not just Malibu's Most Wanted. Right. It actually freaks people out because it's like, well, if this dude is here and he wants to move there, what does that mean about where the center might be located? And one of the things that's happened in the last 20 years that's got white kids so fucked up and confused is that the center of cultural capital has moved profoundly and uh, clearly toward blackness, toward something that they don't understand and were always taught was marginal. But at the same time, this, the, 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 the capital in terms of hard capital, real capital, like wealth, Hasn't moved at all. Hasn't moved at so all. there's a real and white kids don't know what to think and they somehow feel disenfranchised. Right. You know what I mean? Like like they can't be as cool as they want to be because they can't, I don't know, be black enough or say the N word. Like you got white kids angry at the racism that prevents them from saying the N word in their rhymes. Like right. that's how absurd and crazy this country has become and, and this music has become. So I was yeah, I was hanging out with black kids and, and rhyming, you know, and hanging out and 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 buying music and like and DJing and writing graffiti and doing all of those things so you um, were doing different things than your other white friends were yeah doing. but I was also doing the things that they were doing too like right. I wasn't it's not like I just you know moved a hundred percent like I was learning how to code switch you know how to be one way with one group of people another way with another people and figuring out how contradictions played out politically and personally like figuring e out explain to the internets that might not know what code switching is man I think code switching is just is having different language for different situations, right. you know, like the kind of thing that 
hip hop made me grapple with at that time was like, how is it that I, you know, I know, I know what the gods and earths are about. Like, I, I know what the, I, I, I've, I've read the lessons and I'm, and like, I know that I'm supposed to be, you know, the devil, like the white man is. Yeah, how you feeling about being the devil? Like, but here's the thing. Mm-hmm. But half of my friends were five percenters, so I'm mm-hmm. like, yo, how can I be the devil? But I'm also staying on C Justice's couch for like four straight nights, and I, I started to see C the Justice. fault lines. C Justice, shout okay. out to C Justice, shout out C Justice. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Where's C Justice today, man? Uh, Brooklyn. Okay. Yeah, I talked to him recently. Okay. In fact. Okay. Um, so did you did you look? Were you trying to be a five percenter, man? I was not trying to be a five. percenter Did you want to be a five percenter? Yes. You wanted to be a five percenter. I mean, I want. Are there any white five percenters in existence? There has I think search, search says he's a five, or Search says he was a five percenter. Anyway. Okay, we've talked about this. Right. Um, those of us who were like doing shit like that, we at this point have all like formed an informal support group and talk about this shit. White five. <laughs> you'd be, you'd be surprised. No. I'm telling you. Listen, when I was away, I was in Elmira Correctional Facilities. I was in the yard and I was talking to one of my friends who was a blood, and some Italian kid came by. And and as he's walking, I'm like, this fucking kid looks Italian. He he daps up the blood and doing all the signs. And I turn to him, I'm like, yo, he's blood. He's like, yeah. I'm like, what the an fuck? An Italian blood? Italian blood. Five mm. percent. Yeah, he was a bloodino. <laughs> wait, wait. He was an Italian yeah. blood five percent? No, he was a blood. Five. He okay. was just a blood. We're talking about five percenters. No, I'm just explaining that, you know, you never know what the fuck it is. Okay. You never know. So, 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 Adam, man, what's yeah. today's mathematics? <laughs> <laughs> I think it has something to do with when you say pause. I don't know. Okay, okay. <laughs> Listen, internet, man, this, this is, this is going to be an interesting conversation. You're tuning into the Combat Jack Cheer. Show. CombatJackShow.com. Let's go to a music break with our illustrious DJ, DJ Ben Hameen. F your radio. Hashtag fuckboy. Dallas Penn. Internet, you tune into the Combat Jack Show, the CombatJackShow.com. Today's theme, boys and girls, is hashtag fuckboy Dallas Penn. F-U-K-B-O-I Dallas Penn. Tweet that. Let Shit. that motherfucker know, man. No more fuckery on the Combat Jack Show. We're sitting here with uh, Adam Mansback and Jay Period. Talking about some interesting shit, man. You know, I, I didn't give you a chance to talk earlier about really, you know, what uh, angry black white boy was about man yeah no nah, yeah I mean, you definitely gave me a chance i just went off in some other crazy that's all right direction. we do that here um angry black white boy is a story of a kid named macon de tournay it's 1998 macon is an afrocentric white kid who has been kind of politicized um and awakened by the the hip-hop of the late 80s and early 90s is he wearing a kufi no <laughs> he's not wearing a kufi <laughs> okay he's um he's got the kufi is internal okay. you know it's growing on the inside right um, he, uh, and what's he angry about, man? He's angry about his, I, his, his perception is that white supremacy is as alive as, as it's ever been. And yes. that nobody gives a fuck that white people have disinvested a hundred percent from any notion of struggling against it, that the civil rights Alliance and the hope of the sixties and the seventies has been buried, that it's a, a moment of profound silence, and he's super angry about it. Mm. He feels like he's got a certain kind of double consciousness. Now, I should say, though, the book is a satire. It's not like some super earnest shit where you're supposed to sympathize necessarily with Macon. Macon's understanding of race is real, kind of deep but narrow. Like, he's the kind of kid who only thinks a black person is black enough if they hate white people. Mm. And what he wants to do is prove himself again and again and again. Right. Like, he wants to be the only cool white boy, the down white boy. And that's a pathology that, you know, I saw again and again and again right, in right, white right. kids in hip-hop. Right. You want to be the only cool white kid at the party. If there's another white kid at the party, you, you're like, you know, 
throwing shade at him immediately because either he's cooler than you and that makes you not the cool white boy or he's corny and he brings you know the race down is that it's what that, it com- is that what it comes down to it man? used to be like that right. heavy you right. know um so anyway making, did that change though did that change? i think it's changed for a number of reasons um there's still a, a whisper of it or or a heavy vibe of it probably in I some think that ways. mentality is still there in places yeah what what what, what white rappers are getting along right now with each other with each other <laughs> white rappers cannot be in the I mean, same room i couldn't be that shit is b's and c's but that's yeah. bloods and crips right there you know what i like i'm so not <laughs> paying attention to any right. of these motherfuckers that i don't know right. but i'll take your word for it right okay. um anyway so macon he moves to new york city to go to college and he starts driving a cab to make money and he gets so fed up with what he perceives as like the entitlement the privilege of the white wall street type dudes who get in his cab that he starts robbing them all at gunpoint Mm. taking their neckties and their wallets telling them about the evils and invisibility of whiteness and throwing them out on the street and he's not hiding he's not invisible he's not wearing a mask but nobody can process the notion of a white kid committing racially motivated crimes against other white people so instead the word goes out that some kind of radical black cab driver is sticking up white even though they even though the victims obviously see yes a a white perpetrator yeah that's the level of disconnect so new york's thrown into a panic white people won't take cabs anymore black people can finally get a cab Mm. uh white people start carpooling to work you know it's like the montgomery bus boycott on acid for like two weeks right he eventually gets arrested and he finds himself infamous with this platform to kind of say all the shit he wants to say and becomes, you know, this figurehead. And he calls figurehead to, figurehead to whom? I mean, people don't know what to make of him. So he's famous. You know, it's like he's a la, not a la white privilege. Exactly. There right. you go. There you go. He's not necessarily vilified. He's famous. Right. Right. If he was he's a, black a rebel, dude, he's a rebel. He's a rebel. Right. So with this platform that he suddenly has, he calls for a national day of apology. Mm hmm taking a page from Malcolm X's autobiography, right? Now, Malcolm in the book says, you know, the nature of white supremacy is so pernicious, so pernici- so persistent that really white people should just walk up to black people on the street and apologize. Right. That shit is a joke, right? right? It's, a, it's a rhetorical statement. Right. This kid Macon is like, we're going to do this shit on Friday. So he takes the joke seriously. seriously. And people pour into the city from all over the country to participate in this kind of well-intentioned... This day of atonement. ...ill-considered day of apology. Right. And shit goes haywire. Right. And there's a huge riot... And crazy shit happens, and um, don't tell us the ending. No, nah, I won't. Don't, don't and then go. there's a and then there's a parallel story um, that involves Macon's great grandfather and his black college roommate Andre's great grandfather, who were real life baseball players in the 1890s. Uh, mm. Macon's ancestor in the book is this guy Cap Anson, who baseball fans know, Hall of Famer, first guy to get 3,000 hits, instrumental in setting up the color line in baseball. Mm. Um, the kid Andre's great grandfather is a dude named Fleet Walker, who was the last black player and a fascinating historical figure. Went to uh, Oberlin, which was the first integrated school in the country. Um, had like a kind of a back to Africa movement going for a mm. minute, although he never actually left. Right. Fascinating dude. Was actually um, acquitted of killing a, a white dude or an Irish dude, right. which was not the same well, thing at the, the time. Well, Irish weren't white at the time. Not so white. They thugged their way into being white. <laughs> yeah. So there's a parallel story. Italians too. Italians weren't white. Yeah, I know you say I mean, this all the time. I'm a but, Jew. But the you, Jews weren't white either. Jews just got white. Like about, just, we just about, got about 20 white. years yeah, ago, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, when I didn't wear the African medallion, I also considered a Star of David, but I wasn't Jewish enough for that shit, right. so I was in no man's But where were you wearing this African medallion? I wasn't Not wearing on Ocean Park. Park. I, look, you were wearing that shit on Ocean Hold Park. Hold on. Jews Let me be clear. Let me be clear. Internets, I never wore an African medallion. Okay, okay, okay. I just wanted to. 
Um, so that's the book is right. is and that's a parallel story. In the so book. so you know what I'm reading in between the lines is that you came you you discovered the sense of your white privilege before white privilege became a commonly used term. Yeah, it definitely wasn't a buzzword. Right, it wasn't, a, wasn't buzzword. a buzzword. Like and and how did you come across that man? Like how did you realize that you had white privilege? Um, I think it, it came. It, it was. You know, it's like, I don't really remember not knowing it, right. but hanging out in hip hop circles, it was like a, a reality of life that we use to our advantage. You know, it's like if, I mean, seldom did anybody I hung out with have money to get a cab, but right. if we did, I was going to be the one to hail it and everybody else was going right. to hide around the corner, of, of, of you course, know? Right. Um, Were you doing dumb shit with your black friends and then, you know, skating while they got, <laughs> while they got sh shook down? Nah, I was, I was, I was not, I okay. was, I was in the wind. Right. Um, but you know, like. Graffiti writers rack paint. Mm -hmm. And a great thing to do for any aspiring graffiti writers out there considering starting writing around 1993, um, if that should happen to be the case again, a great thing to do is have like three kids walk into a store, have one of them be white and have the other two not. Mm. Let those two get followed while the white kid racks all the paint. Mm. So it's like we figured out ways to use this shit instinctively to our advantage. Right. It, was, it was a reality that we just understood and there were ways to flip it I didn't have a lot of people to talk to about it. It wasn't like I was articulating this shit because I had my own pathologies at the time. Like I was at some point just really eager for validation. Like I wanted in the to be, black community. Yeah, because right. I understood that white supremacy was uh, and co-option of black culture and exploitation was this thing that continued to are, happen. Are, are you reading anything also? That's, that's oh yeah, right. Oh yeah. What are you, I'm, what are you I'm reading, reading at the time? And you know, I come from a family. My dad's a journalist. There are books in the house. So like when. When Chuck D is talking about Chesimar, Joanne Chesimar, like I can find that name on a bookshelf. Right. When when Karis one is shouting out, you know, Stokely Carmichael, I can find that book. I can find Sold on Ice. I can find Malcolm X. And I was like, hip hop was like a superpower that, you know, I could deploy in my educational experience. Right. You know what I mean? Like sometimes and, and get over. Like I didn't do any homework because I could freestyle and argue with people. And walk into a history class and be like, why the fuck aren't we studying the mm. Black Panthers? And they're like, well, this is 16th century European history. And I'm like, I don't care. Yeah. You know, like, um, now, now what are your parents saying? Like, because they, now they have a black son. Cut it out. My parents were, my parents didn't have any problem with me rhyming or DJing or hanging out with black people. Were you coming home smelling like weed? I was leaving home smelling like okay. weed. Nah, I mean... Or oils. Oh, you, so you come... You come, you come <laughs> and, and, and comedic You had any oils? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, honestly, I was doing other unconnected shit that had them a lot more worried. Right. You know what okay. I mean? You like, know, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah like, nah, it's, you know, it's gonna, better left. You know, it's, it's funny, man, because, you know, I find when I talk about white privilege, because I'm really fascinated by race. Mm. I, I mean, I don't... Like, like to me, race is sexier than sex right now. Mm. I mean, I think it's always been, but I think it's at a point right now where it's not necessarily a taboo because of social media. You can talk about it and people are willing to talk about it. Mm -hmm. it's, it's so hot. But I, I notice a lot of my, you know, a, a lot of our listeners that are white, mm -hmm. when I talk about white privilege, they're like, yo, I, I'm not privileged. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I got beat up in this, you know, black right. high school that I went to or, you know, I, we get we were on welfare, whatever. Right. So and when I try to explain it, 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 there's no connection. There's a huge appetite among white people to try to figure out an escape clause and a reason they don't have privilege. Like right. when I was doing gigs for angry black white boy, which ended up getting taught at a lot of schools. So I was in a lot of schools and even high schools and people would always say stuff like I'm white, but I'm Jewish. Right. So I don't have it. I'm white, but I'm Irish and Irish and used to be white. I'm white, but I'm poor. And I live in, you know, 
I live in a Dominican neighborhood. I'm white, but my girlfriend's black. I'm white, yeah, but, but I'm gay. And it was like, look, you either have it or you like you're either seen as white in the world or you're not. When right. you sit down to get a bank loan or a job. George Zimmerman is not white because he's Hispanic. That, right. That's the argument. Right. That's the argument. But well, when you look at George Zimmerman, you don't see that. You don't see that. Right. And it's like, you know, you can you can you can be you know, you can you can be all those things. You can be an Irish Jewish gay dude who on lives welfare. in Washington Heights on welfare. You're either going to be seen by law enforcement as white or not, and you're going to reap those benefits whether you want them or not. So right. there's this attempt to step away from it and try to distance yourself because, you know, nobody wants to be a part of this legacy of oppression. It's and too much hatred. work. It's too, too much, much work. work. It's psychologically taxing. Right. I mean, but it's all very self-centered, too. It's like, look, you know, the fundamental reason to fight against these things, against racism, against sexism, against homophobia, is an understanding that they hurt us all, not just the people on the blunt end of the stick. Because nobody wants to hear about but racism from us. Right. And that's the thing. I mean, and that's as a, a, a white person or as a, you know, male or straight person, whatever, you can advocate and say shit in a way that other people can't. Because if you say it, combat, you'll be seen to be speaking out of some narrow self-interest. Well, well, I've had to have heart to heart conversations with my listeners like, yo, like I'm not like they they're like, why are you trying to alienate us? And I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm not trying to alienate y'all. I'm just right. trying to get y'all to see what the fuck I see. And what's a reality? Right. And why do you feel alienated right. by it? Why don't you feel inspired right. to do something about it well, or talk about it? Well, I, you, think, I mean, cats are like, well, you went to Georgetown. I went right. to Georgetown. I'm like, right. motherfucker, I still get harassed by cops. Right. Your Georgetown was not the same as my Georgetown. Exactly. Yeah. No, but my they, they my Brooklyn is not the same as your Brooklyn. Right. But right. they don't right. know, like, even law enforcement, they don't know, like, you know, I mean... You know, I I understand what you're saying, but they don't know you went to Georgetown. No, they, they don't, don't give know a fuck. But they don't even give a fuck. They don't care. Right. You know, uh, I tell you one thing I find amazing is is, is your just your knowledge and and, and your your self awareness on white privilege. Because to be honest, you for for many many for, until uh, Torre, uh, white Torre, uh, came on this show. <laughs> I literally, seriously, didn't really understand white privilege, and I'll be honest with you, I still don't. And you but fought I, us, and, and you I fought. fought, and I fought with it for a long time because, um, you know, even like you, you know, um, I'm seeing that a lot of your style to me, what you know, comes off as just being a product of your environment, like and being a product of who you are around. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, I grew up. Um, you know, in a neighborhood, you know, like I said, I grew up, I, I, I say this all the time, I feel like, but it, it needs to be. I grew up in Coney Island until I was 13, then I moved to Bensonhurst. Mm-hmm. So I seen the flares of the use of Hawkins or this or that, but I never paid attention to any of that. You know, I, my, my, any relationships I had with anybody of color was organic. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, it, it's shown throughout the years and, and I never knew I had white privilege and, and if, I probably until Torre pointed until Torrey out. Until pointed it out, motherfucker, I'm, you're not using and, your white privilege. Yeah, and I'm seeing and, and I'm seeing and I'm listening to you just sit here and 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 explain how aware you were at such an early age. And I don't know if I'm dumb or uh, just I fought it. You know what I mean? And and, and I don't think anybody like and and I'm kind of same generation. This is J. Perry right yeah, now. Yeah, um, I'm same generation as Adam. I, I don't think anybody was aware of it in the way that we're aware of it now. Right. Looking back, I think like he said, like you benefited from it. In certain experiences, but I think also that, you know, what we had as an advantage over kids today is that we had hip hop that was teaching us mm. about this dynamic. Right. Mm. And I remember, you know, being in high school, walking around, you know, singing. What, what's your background, Jay? My, like, as far as what? Where am I from? You quote unquote racial identification. My, I'm Jewish. Okay. And I, and I would identify I, and, I th- and here I'm thinking you're a fine Hispanic man. 
And honestly, <laughs> here's the funny thing is, is because of what I do or how I roll or, or, you know, my knowledge of this, I've been assumed to be everything from Hispanic to part black to this to the, I mean, Arab, everything. And that was always. Yeah, a, I, I could see some. Alhamdulillah. Yo, will you stop? <laughs> Yo, I got Arab friends. They tell me to say alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Okay. Listen, uh, any t- any person of culture, they always want you to say their fucking words, okay, like you know, so like, like Russians will tell you, like say pitu pitu pitu, you know, and, and then you'll say. What, it what, they, what, do, what do what do the Jews tell people to say? So anyway, I'm sorry, Jay. We cut you off. No, no problem. I guess I should know that being a a Jew. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm sorry. So you're gonna say? So yeah. So no, I remember a a moment. You know, when I was, and I used to do things like transcribe hip hop lyrics and give them to my dad to like show him that there was, you know, knowledge in this music. And my and my father was a teacher. Right. So I remember, you know, being in high school, walking around and rapping Paris. The devil made me do it. Mm. And and one of my friends, this girl Mia Sykes, who was black, you know, came up and was like, you know, they're talking about you, right? Right. And I was like, no, they're not. And like, in a sense, it didn't compute to me. Like, I understood this concept of white privilege, but I also felt like the knowledge that I gained from hip hop put me in a different position, maybe, than someone else that looked like me that didn't understand these dynamics. Right. And that's been something that's carried me you know, throughout my life and my understanding of race right. and ended up honestly being the reason why I studied race at, you know, I went to Stanford. Okay. This was what I studied and I, I, I they didn't even have an African-American studies, you know, department like they do now. They right. didn't have multicultural studies. If I wanted to study that, I had to create that. And this was something that was passion. I was passionate about because of hip hop. Mm. So I think nowadays where hip hop is not feeding kids that same level of knowledge, they're lost in the wilderness. Right, 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 right. Like they don't know about these things. Yeah. I mean, and there's no, that, that stuff I was talking about earlier about how as a white kid, you were forced out of a comfort zone mentally, psychologically, and physically doesn't really happen anymore. Mm. Like there, you can be part of an insular, all white, community of hip-hop fans and aficionados and artists and never really be pushed in that way you know that's a real i'm glad you said that man because some of our our younger listeners man like you know that are in their 20s are like yo combat man like you keep talking that white privilege shit but like like my generation is not about that and i'm like Mm -hmm. for you to even say that you don't even understand the terrain in which you you know you dwell you know you know know what i'm saying absolutely absolutely if you don't think it's a problem if you don't think it affects you if you think it's all good that's a problem. And I think that's an, there's a sincere lack of understanding, though, on the part of a lot of young white kids about just where the landscape lies right now. Like, they understand the concept of fairness. Like, I have kids come up to me all the time when I'm talking about this stuff and be like, what do you think about affirmative action? And by the way they ask it, I know they're not feeling it. I know their parents aren't feeling mm. it. White kids. And I know that their parents told them that it's the reason they won't get into college. It's a handout to the black right. kids and this and right. that. And- but there's, you know, there's a real misunderstanding about the state of equality or inequality in this country today. And a lot of people would much rather think that racism is in the past, right. that it got solved in the 60s, mm-hmm. which is clearly not the case. Right. And it gets reified and, and reaffirmed all the time in ways that we generally don't pay attention to. One, su- one study that I really like to talk about in this context is a study that they did on FEMA post-Katrina. Mm. And it was a helpline they that set sounds up. sounds like a rhyme right there. Though. FEMA post-Katrina. That sounds like a song right Gee. there. And it was a helpline they set yeah, up where's for Dead folks. Prez, man? We, yeah. We, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, go ahead. Um, where, is, where are Dead Prez, though? For real, though. Brooklyn? Yeah. Florida. Yeah. Shout out to Dead Somewhere. Prez. Um, there was a, a helpline that they set up for folks who had just been made homeless. So 
like everybody at this moment was was actually on equal footing. They were equally assed out and homeless. Yes. And based on the perception of the race of the caller, not even the actual race, but the perception, folks who read or sounded white were 73% more likely to be told there was emergency housing available. So mm. at the very moment mm. of equality, of assed out equality, the power structure that's supposed to be helping folks is building up the exact same unequal power structure right. that's been the problem all along. And you see studies like this all the time. White felons have the same chances of getting a given job as black folks with no criminal record. And college but, degrees. And college degrees. Right. But these things are not seen by like your average white kid who only knows that all the coolest people he sees on TV and videos and movies are rappers or black. The people living a conspicuously flashy, consumptive uh, life don't look like him, so he feels pissed off about it. He feels disenfranchised and dislocated and marginalized. And that's a mind fuck to me mm. that you can get to that point where you feel that way, but a lot of these kids do. Mm. And they don't want to be made to feel like they're part of the problem. They do anything to feel like they're not, you know? So they they're dis disenfranchised and they're being made to feel guilty. Yeah, and they and they're real resistant to it. Because, mm. like, you know, like folks in here have kids, right? Like yes. Folks on the internets have kids. If you've had kids, you've heard it's not fair like a million times. That's a basic concept that all kids deal with is the notion of fairness. Kids want shit to be fair. Yes. What they mean is fair to them. Fair to them. But at a certain point in development, some kids are able to turn that concept outward toward the world and see if the world is fair, not just to them, but to other people. Yo, the minute my kids start talking about this shit is not fair, I'm like, yo, B. Life is not fair, buddy. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, and I, and I, and I strongly stress to every parent out there that tries to, you know, coddle their kids into this sense of fair. Teach them. I don't care if you're black, white, whatever. Teach your kids, man, that, that life is not fair. Yeah. Mm. You know what I'm saying? You gotta Definitely. make it fair. Exactly. But encourage them to understand that that feeling they have when shit isn't fair to them, when their sister gets ice cream and they don't, or whatever the fuck, if you can nurture that and make these kids care about whether the world is fair to other people, that is how you nurture a sense of justice and mm -hmm. injustice yep. and get people invested in changing this shit. Yo, what's going on with hip hop right now, man? What's shit. going on with hip hop racially, man? I'm nervous right now. Yeah. Hip hop seems like it's no country for black men right now. <laughs> I, I swear to God, like, like, like watching the VMAs was almost as depressing to me as hearing the, uh, the George Zimmerman acquittal. Like literally, mm. it was that it it was that hard hitting to me, but I couldn't convey that to a lot of people. A lot of people were well, like a lot of credible black artists in release albums last year, and I'm like, for real? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's been a retreat on a lot of fronts from dealing with race from the very people who are best positioned to do so. Whether that's Obama, who has political reasons mm. for not pursuing an agenda of racial justice, right. can't do it. Hands are tied. But I mean, it's like, dude, homie, it's your second term. This is the fucking ball time. out, ball out, bro. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, it's funny. I, I'm just making this connection now, but like the same way that he's not doing that. I remember when Jay Z was allegedly retiring, right? Yes. Made his last album and talked all this shit on it about how he would like to rhyme like Talib Kweli and the roots and shit, but you know he has to sell you. It's like, homie, it's your last album. Right. If you have a structural critique of American capitalism and white supremacy to make, wouldn't now be the fucking time? Mm. But instead, it's an excuse for why he's not doing it, mm. you know? And I feel like a lot of people um, are not trying hard enough. You know, I mean, there's some there's people doing some great work. Right. I mean, and, me, I'm, and I'm not mad at Macklemore. I'm not nah. mad at the crown that he's wearing right now. But, nah. to, but to see their claim that he's getting at the expense of others is kind of frightening, man. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And, you know, I don't 
I'm not familiar with him personally, but I know people who are. Right. And I've heard from folks that he's got an awareness about these things, that he's an organic part of the scene in Seattle that he comes out of, that he's mulling this shit over. Is he doing it publicly? Occasionally. Right. Not hard enough. Um, I mean, I'm an old man and I listen to the guys that I came up listening to. And that I'm now largely like friends and colleagues with. I listen to Pharrell Mach, you know. Mm. I listen to, you know, MF Doom. I listen to you listen, listen to rap to, that doesn't sell, huh? Yeah, oh, exclusively. <laughs> I fuck and I fuck with new guys who sound like they have that aesthetic. I listen to Ka. Mm. I listen to Ortiz. You know, like like I'm probably the last person to make a <laughs> a blanket statement you know about I like f- pop I fuck shit. With, I fuck with Ka. Ka's not. Ka. Ka's never gonna sell a record. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Ka. We gotta Shout have you on the Ka. Combat Jack show. Definitely. Cheer. Right. So, but 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 why is it this pushback? Like in terms of like this whitewashing of the culture. My my my. What what I see right now is that hip hop is such a, uh, it's such an integral fabric of American culture. Like it's everywhere. Like right. I just come. I'm, like I was talking earlier about coming from this. Uh, this 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 meeting at my 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 kids school mm-hmm. and the teachers are like you know we teach our kids to speak proper we don't have them say yo and this and that and they're not re- necessarily referencing black kids but mm-hmm. the fact that yo was being spoken in this school it's like yeah. hip hop is all over the place but we don't want to yeah. claim it like right. why don't we want to claim it man yeah it's all it's over like, the it's place like bas- it's like the bastard black child it's it's all over the place and if we step back for a second and note how quickly it's had that incursion into the cultural mainstream the educational mainstream like we're like 40 years deep when jazz was 40 years deep there were no university classes on it granted the culture's different things have accelerated but like we've come a very long way in a very short time and in some ways we haven't caught up with ourselves um i use jazz is always an apt metaphor for me because i also came up in jazz Mm. in a way i was a roadie for the late great elvin jones Mm. For about seven years. He was John Coltrane's drummer throughout the 60s. Mm-hmm. Baddest dude ever. Like, he's the greatest drummer who's ever lived on this planet. Like, bar none. Right. Bad motherfucker. And the musicians in his band had a joke. What do you call a black man in a jazz club? And the answer was a musician. Because mm-hmm. we're playing these rooms, whether it's the Blue Note or the equivalent kind of high-end clubs in L.A. or Paris or Barcelona or anywhere. And jazz at that point had been sort of deracialized like everybody still knew that like it was invented and pioneered and perfected largely by people of color by black folks but the audience was almost all white a lot of people were priced out of it you know because it it, uh, became nice music it became yeah it became nice music america's classical music music, sophisticated music so you know when i you said it got deracialized got deracialized amazing yeah um i don't think that's happening with hip-hop because hip-hop is still this fraught thing like, we still use hip-hop to play out our collective, fucked-up American racial fantasies, fantasies and right. voyeurisms right. and all of that. It's still a lightning rod. And that's, on one hand, depressing. Or on, the, or the other, on the other hand, gives me hope because it means there's still space within the culture to get back to a point where we're making profound critiques Are you really hopeful, kind of man? Way. Are you really hopeful? No, not really. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I think I'm the most optimistic person I know. And, and at this point, yeah. I, shit looks hopeless, man. Yeah, I mean, I hate to say that, but you really shit, think so? I mean, dude, it's it's you know, it's it's all about foundational. Like shit is foundational, mm-hmm. and we just keep building and building 
and building on this false foundation. That that's my impression. I don't know if I agree with that mm. as somebody that's in the culture right, right now and, ha- and has been for a minute. And the reason is because I think that you know what you're seeing and what you're calling the culture to me is like the shimmer on the surface of the water. Mm-hmm. Like like you're going to see what you're fed by all these mainstream media outlets to right. see and call hip hop. So if you turn on the VMAs, you're but I'm see- not just talking about hip hop. I'm just talking about. American, in general, cult, American yeah. culture well, in general. For sure. I mean, uh, to me, like, in, in terms of what? Like, you're saying it, like... Just in terms of, like, awareness. You know, I mean, this is the summer of Trayvon mm-hmm. and right. Zimmerman. Right. Like, like, if this shit is happening in 2013, yeah. and there's no ramifications. That's right. absolutely right. And it's, you know what I mean? Well, yeah, but I, I think we're also at this moment where I feel like there's an intersection between that dynamic and then, like, the crazy hyper sort of information you know flow that we get right so i think that we're naturally desensitized to a lot of this shit of course of and course. not just that so i feel like with trayvon you know i feel like the reason why people aren't riding in the streets like they were with rodney king is because like by the next day there's like 700 other stories that are coming up that are feeding you and distracting you and i don't think people really have time to sit with it emotionally unless it affects you yeah, but, but, unless, but I, unless that story was that big I mean, but that story, I mean... That I, was a big story. Was a like, big whatever story. stories sure. coming behind that were Miley Cyrus twerking, uh, you know, maybe a little fucking gas spill. Syria. Uh, I, I don't just know. mean that it's a specific story that comes after it. What I mean is that there's so many stories all the time. To distract you. Yeah. So we live in an age of distraction. It's like, I mean, yes, in a sense, we do. Which, once again, is not that positive if no. you look at the future. That's you know, true. I think in terms of... American culture at large and the way that hip hop is moving specifically, there's a lack of historicization and context. Everybody is looking for click through. I like your words, man. Thanks, Crazy. Man. I'm going to use that historization. I'm a writer, you know. I like that. This um, guy's dropping words. I don't even know how to fucking spell. I didn't even know. If this words. guy turned to spell and be contest, I fucking lose. <laughs> well, I, I don't know if I can spell, spell him, but right. I can say the So fuck anyway, I'm that. sorry, man. Um, <laughs> What nobody, I mean, at this point, there's no reason at all that any 15-year-old who's not like your kid or my kid or any 20-year-old or any 23-year-old is going to connect hip-hop to social movement or protest or insurrection or speaking truth to power. Any of the things that we default, de facto associated with because we came up how and when we did. But like I've taught hip-hop classes to kids that age. I was teaching at Rutgers University, so I had 100 plus undergraduates in a hip-hop class. Mm. And... To them, it's just part of pop culture, pop music. They don't know anything about the past of it, and they're astounded and amazed when I play them, you know, the ladies' first video or the why is that video. Like They're like, oh, shit, and I see it coming together in their eyes. They're like, this used to be that. Or when I bring people in, when I bring in a Popmaster Fable or a Pharoah Manch or a Keo or an Alan Kett or a Joan Morgan or a Joe Schloss to Mm. talk to them, and let them get some sense of the history. But like, you know, everything is moving so rapidly. And it's not just that we're not invested in history. It's that there are active investments in wiping it away of so course. that we cannot be distracted of by course. what we need to buy next. Right. Right. You know, and that's a terrible right. place for us to be in. The Trayvon shit. Actually, you know, as horrible and depressing as it was to me, a weird kind of silver lining was this. Um, a friend of mine named Ryan Coogler wrote and directed a movie called Fruitvale Station. Mm-hmm. And by sheer coincidence... I still can't watch that. Right. It was still too close to Trayvon's, uh, the George Zimmerman And by sheer coincidence, it came out just as the verdict yes. did in most of the theaters that it came out in right. in the country. Mm. And I don't know how many people 
went to see that movie that weekend and had some kind of sense of catharsis, cried throughout the movie, sat in the theater after with the lights going up with tears coming down their faces. And these two things are not directly connected, right? Mm-hmm. The, the Fruitvale uh, movie is about, you know, a, an entirely different, unarmed, innocent young black man who got gunned down Same shit, by the but police. different, different Same event. shit, different coast, different event. But it was weirdly this moment of catharsis that for some people was like the only way they got through that weekend, you know? And that's not major. That's not gun laws being changed. That's not stand your ground getting repealed. That's not people rising up and getting in the streets, but it is art playing a vital role in people's lives and giving them the thing they need to keep moving. And to me, that's incredible. And you know, if Ryan's movie hadn't come out that weekend, it would have been a lot worse for a lot of people. Mm. So I don't know. That's that gives me some type of hope. Mm. Okay. I mean, to me though, like art is still there to do that. You know, it's right. like you just have to seek it out. I think a little bit more now. Yeah, but we're not seeking it out right now. I mean, are we? I mean, are we? I mean, like right now, are we really? <laughs> that's that's seek- a question for somebody that's a little younger than me. Right. But I mean, but the irony is, it should be easier than ever to acquire. You can I mean, watch yo, or dude, listen to the shit. My kids a ask me dumb ways. questions. Right now, and I'm like, Google the shit. Motherfuckers <laughs> don't even want to touch. Their, kids are allergic to Google right now. Yeah, that shit is old. Which right. is crazy to me. Right. Google is as heavy as a fucking dictionary back, <laughs> back then. Listen, let's go to a music break, man. You tune into the Combat Jack Show, the combatjackshow.com. Yo, do me a favor. Hashtag fuckboy Dallas Penn. Internet, you tune into the Combat Jack Show, the combatjackshow.com. Do me a favor. Um, please go to iTunes, man. You know, rate, subscribe, comment on the Combat Jack Show, man. We're getting good results. We're getting good responses from you guys. But continue supporting our iTunes initiative, man. iTunes has been very good to us, man. And you guys have been very good to us. Let's take that good. Let's, let's get that good to us coalition sure. between you guys and iTunes. Let's tell right? a friend to tell a friend. Tell a friend to tell a friend, man. Um, Adam Man's back. J period in the building talking about a lot of shit right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but you came here to sell some shit, man. You got some shit to sell, man. You, know, you got a book that's out, right? I do. My 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 latest novel, Rage is Back, just came out in paperback. That's big, right? For, for yeah. a book to go from, from hardcover to paperback. It's good. I mean, you hope that paperback is where it kind of lives and right. people really buy it and, you know, put it in their back pocket. Now, now, now this, now this, this book is about uh, a graffiti artist or the son of a graffiti artist. Yeah, this Dondi, Dondi, yeah, right. Kilroy Dondi Vance, who is the narrator. He's eighteen. He's the son of two famous graffiti artists from the train era, the golden era of graffiti in New York City, when beautiful full color burners were being painted on trains that were rolling throughout the city right. at all times of day and night. Uh, his parents are from a, an era when the city of New York between 1973 and 89, spent $250 million trying to fight subway graffiti. and war on graffiti. The war on graffiti. Mayor John Lindsay started it. The next several mayors continued it. And in a lot of ways, it was really a war against young people, young people of color, young poor people. Um, it's a class, class and race cla- war. Yeah, exactly. It was about public space and representation. Uh, and what this book deals with is kind of an epic comeback on the part of these writers from the era of trains from the from the 80s from the 70s who kind of reemerged to try to take back the train system bomb every train in the system in one weekend and you got some mysticism shit going on in the I book do, too, right? I do yeah the reason they want to do it is to bring down this dude who's running for mayor who's the transit president who used to be a vandal squad cop who's <laughs> who was busting all their heads back in the day um 
but yeah, there's like some magical realism going on here. There, this is a New York that in which graffiti writers are almost like urban shamans, mm-hmm. you know, and they navigate the subterrain and they write crazy shit that other people can't read. And that led me down that path. So, you know, there's a building in this book in Dumbo. And if you walk all 14 flights of stairs, you travel 24 hours into the future, which is kind of useless. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. Okay. We, yeah. Okay. I mean, which really is not that useful. Like, really, like, you're behind. Like, you missed work, school. You don't know if the Yankees won. Um, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> It's a good question. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, read, the, yeah. read the book. Crazy shit. Um, yeah. There may or may not be demons dwelling deep in the tunnels underneath Ayahuasca. The drones. There's some ayahuasca biters. Now, did, did you have ayahuasca substances? You don't... I mean, not ayahuasca per se. You got to kind of go to it. It can't come to you, and I have not yet been to the Peruvian rainforest. Okay, okay. But, you know, there's other more synthetic I, versions of I got of a shit friend like of mine who just became one of those ayahuasca... Shamans. Oh, yeah? Way, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you have access now. Well, what yeah, the fuck in, are you in, talking in, about now? <laughs> Indirect access. So Yo, white, nobody's oh, ever gone from white privilege to ayahuasca this fast. Nah, except every hippie ever. Nah, he's, yeah. I mean, he's, 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 he's totally like embedded in that culture right okay. now. But anyway, yeah. so the book's doing well. The book is, yeah, it's doing its thing. Right. And, you know, it, it was something that I've wanted to write for a long time. I've been fascinated by graffiti and graffiti writers for a long time because they're like, they're the weirdos and the theorists and the mad geniuses of hip-hop. You know, like, graffiti writers were always the most fascinating people around. They're theorists. They're, like, doing all this bugged-out shit. And they're doing it without any hope of really making any money off of it. It's illegal. Right. You know? Um, when I moved to New York, uh, I was running a hip-hop magazine, a little thing called Elementary. Yes. That I published with Alan Kett from Alan Stress Kett. Magazine. Yes. And, you know, through him and through the magazine, I got to know a lot of the legends, folks like Phase 2 and Keo and Part 1 and Bomb 5 and Zephyr. And, you know, it's just a fascinating culture. And the fact that all these guys, in a real sense, outlived the culture they invented. Because on the trains, it was dead by 1990. Right. They invented it. It went worldwide. They're famous off of it. Nerds in, you know, Austria, like, want their autographs. Maybe they can show at a gallery in, you know, Finland or some shit. But in their city, it's not there anymore. Right, right, right. And that's a really now, weird now, now, situation. Now, do you miss the fact that graffiti is not prevalent in New York City anymore? Well, I mean, it's still prevalent. Right. I mean, it's still everywhere, but it's not on the trains. It's not the on the trains. trains. Yeah, I think the, the, the fact that kids think, and these were kids, right? right. Keep in mind, we're they talking were about 12-year-olds, yeah, yeah. 13-year-olds. The fact that kids figured out a way, first of all, to get their art seen by millions of people a day flying around the city, and the, the pace of the innovation, the in, I mean, like... I'm not talking about like shit on the insides of the trains. Right. I'm talking about like because the train system was fucked up, b. Like super for real. Well, when 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 graffiti was prevalent, yeah. man, shit was oppressive. And I'm not just talking about the great artists that, ex- but just shit compounded with the bullshit that was inside the trains. Right, that shit was oppressive, right. man. Yeah, I mean, think about what disarray the city was in. The trains barely worked, and what they chose to spend and they that kind of like money on—they smelled like vomit and shit and piss. Man. Well, you got to stand between cars and smoke a L. You know, yeah, you're yeah. not supposed to be or in take the car. a piss or oh, shit. Or <laughs> so pull you the took emer- a shit between a, tra- a train, a piss, a piss. I mean, or I, I do that shit too. I miss that. And, 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 <laughs> I do and, miss that. Have you ever pulled the emergency brake? No, I never did. That's okay. some, that's some dumb degenerate. Well, I mean, shit. listen, when you were du- when you were doing graffiti, that's some dumb degenerate. You were doing some. I mean, listen. 
There's a lot of degenerates uh, that have came on the Combat Jack show. <laughs> now, 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 I'm what, not the first. No, no you're not. You're, you're, you're not a degenerate. <laughs> no, I'm not saying him. I'm saying I'm. I, I listen. I've been a degenerate at plenty of times. Sure. Now, now, one of the things that's unique about your your novel is that when you initially uh, when it was initially published, you also released a mixtape with the legendary Jay Period, man, yes. which is which is also why he's here. Absolutely. Talk talk about that. Why'd you why'd you go that route, man? Because you're in the literary world. Yeah. Which is still highbrow. Well, that's yeah. what you write. Yeah, yeah. And then you, you put a mixtape out with this shit? Absolutely. Well, I mean, the thing is, what I love about Jay Period's work is that he's got an incredible sense of narrative. Like, right. ultimately, he's a storyteller. So it wasn't like I had the idea to do a mixtape and I thought, who can I call? It was more like I met Jay Period around that time and I was like, yo, this is a dude who could do a mixtape that would do justice to what I'm trying to do in the book. Right. You know, and like... Um, add on to what we had. We already had an audio book. It wasn't that. The audio book features Danny Hawk, mm. Jizza from mm. the Wu-Tang Clan. Mm. And this is like the last place in the world I have to say from the Wu-Tang Clan, but Jizza <laughs> from and Wyatt Senac right. on the audio book. I wanted to do something that would push Jay, who had already done these incredible, heavily narrative, deep, multifaceted mixtapes for people like Nas and Lauren, uh, I mean, Q-Tip and Lauren Hill. Nas? Nas, 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 too. Nas. Nas too. And it was like, part, Nas. Of it was like, part of it was like, yo, this dude is so nice with it, we gotta like up the bar. Alright, right, motherfucker, it's a novel, do a mixtape. Right. So <laughs> Jay and I started talking about it, how it would be, what it would look like, um, how to freak it, how to make it work, and and what he came up with is is incredible. Now, how did that work in terms of selling the book? Um, I mean, really, it was it was about you know like a lot of the mixtapes I do for artists and just sort of like spreading this thing around to help awareness, you know, help raise awareness. Um, but you know, the the book itself was so musical. Like, there's a lot of musical references mm -hmm. in the book. It's obviously you know located in this moment in New York history where hip hop is everywhere. So you know that is already in the book. And, you know, part of it was that's like dream scenario for me based off of what I already do is, right. you know, you have a narrative there. And so then I'm, I'm building the landscape musically around that narrative. And, you know, it became the kind of thing where a lot of forces aligned to make it possible. I happen to be, you know, I'm, I'm, I tour uh, with Black Thought. So, you know, he was around and down. You know, I was working with Common at the time. I had a joint I was sitting on with, you know, Kwali. And so these things came to feed this vibe of, you know, what made New York so great in that moment. Right. And um, the music was a huge part of it. Mm. So this became about bringing that back and not in the sense of like, oh, well, remember how great it was back then. But these are the, the, the sort of elements that made it so dope. Right. And let's pull that out of the surroundings now and make something that's just as dope, you know, to show, you know, New York, put this shit on the map. You know, I'm not even from here. And like, I'm from L.A. So 3000 miles away, I was soaking up New York to the point where I wanted to come here and right. be a part of it. And this became an opportunity for me to put that on wax. So, you know, really, it, it was a perfect scenario. And in terms of the book, it became something that was, let me get a book on OK Player. Mm. You know, like OK Player literally launched their books, book review section with mm. Rage's Back. OK. Because I brought them the mixtape and mm. I was like, this is something dope. You guys should be on it. And we went to all the places where I normally service my mixtapes with the mixtape and, and the book. And, you know, and not for nothing, but the fact that it's New York number one time and New York Times number one bestselling author on the front of it, you know, and we, oh, well, what's that really all about? And, you know, it kind of, you know, piqued people's interest. But you put it with a mixtape and it, it just, you know, it, it went everywhere. So, you know, it's it's been I don't know how many downloads it has, you know, 100,000, 100, something like that. Yeah. Right. Now, now you've now you've put together some some classic mixtapes. 
Like, tell, tell the internet some of the classic mixtapes that you put together. Man, um, I've done mixtapes with Nas, Big Daddy Kane, Lauryn Hill, Mary J. Blige, Q-Tip, um, uh, Kanon, The Roots. Um, I did a joint um, for Spike Lee as Michael Jackson tribute. Mm. Um, and really, you know, what I have brought to the, the mixtape game is, you know, it comes from my love of, of hip hop and the way that an album used to be put together where you would put it on, you would press play and you would let it rock the whole time. So for me, there's no such thing as filler. And it's that combined with this idea of telling stories, like he was saying. So I sit down and, and interview the artists and get them telling their own stories about their own music and then blend it together with the music in a way that brings those stories to life. Right. So it's become something that has really be, you know, been my signature and what I'm known for. But um, yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of artists. I'm always surprised. Like, you know, I met you know, Alicia Keys. And I was like, you know, in my mind thinking of how I'm going to introduce myself. And I'm like, you know, Jay period. She's like, Oh shit, I got your mixtape. And right. I was like, like, well, that's not supposed mm -hmm. to happen. Not a Q-tip shit is crazy. And, and the Nash shit is crazy. I mean, those are the only two that I'm really intimately, mm, um, 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 we got to get you familiar. No, nah, I mean, you gave, you gave me a stack. <laughs> yeah. I'm about to play this shit yeah. all fucking with For sure. you. Yep. But I mean, I, is it the mixtape game to me seems so difficult, man. Cause every fucking body, mm-hmm, that I meet at all these events, yeah. pull out mixtapes. Yeah. Like, how does your shit rise to the top, man? I mean, for one, I think, you know, it's about the subject matter <laughs> and, and knowing your audience. Um, but I think also, I've always tried to approach this in a different way. Um, I'm not necessarily trying to promote myself. Right. I'm trying to promote the things I love. And if I get promoted through promoting the things I love, that's great. But, you know, for me, it's always been about the bottom line of... You know, what hip hop is to me is, you know, a place where you can take the best bits and pieces of everything and bring them together and make something dope. You right. know, so I can take every genre, pull it together, and make hip hop out of it. On a mixtape, I can pull samples and bits and pieces from everything in a way that I can't do anymore as a producer right. because, I, you know, I need sample clearances and so forth. So it's kind of like the last real bastion of hip hop to mm. me. It's like the only place where you can do that, you know, what hip hop is really about, which is taking those pieces and putting them together to make something fresh. So you're saying there's a, a sense of purity in, in, in that genre. In, For me, in genre. I don't know right. if it's in the genre, but in the way I approach right, right. the genre, it's right. definitely there. Now, now, what else have you worked on, man? I mean, I, I was also the music supervisor for the Brooklyn Nets mm -hmm. last year, so you know, curating. How, how, how was that check, man? Uh, it was. I mean, the check was cool. The yeah. experience was amazing. <laughs> right. You know, like it wasn't. It's, it's never really about the check. Obviously, you know, I have a family stop, to feed stop, and all that stop stuff. Stop lying, man. No, but you know what? Like, it's, it's never been about the check, Jay. It's like, never been about. Did the you check ever get to that me. check and was like, oh shit, it's about this check? Oh yeah, that ha that has happened. <laughs> I will say that. But um, no, I mean, like for me, you know, I, I really, you know, try to 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 do as much, you know, as, as I can do in as many facets of hip hop. So, um, you know, I produce, I, I work, you know, like I said, as a sort of music supervisor, curator for how, something. How'd, like, you, how'd you end up with the Nets, man? How'd that happen? The Nets gig, you know, that came about because I DJed a party that the chairman of the team happened to be at. Um, that sort of started the conversation. What, he, what party? What party are you DJing at? That the chairman <laughs> of the team is it? Um, it was a Tribeca Film Festival. Okay, some premiere. sexy shit. Yeah. And okay. what did? What were you playing when he walked in? I was just rocking the party. Right. Um, Christopher Chorus. And he uh, <laughs> sailing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he actually uh, asked me if I would uh, do a private party for him at his castle in France. So you you got flown out to a castle? Yes. In France, I did that. Wow. Was what, it was it eyes wide shut type shit? <laughs> no. <laughs> huh? it, um, it was actually his uh, his brother's wedding. Okay, um, but what you know, are you playing in France at his brother's wedding in a castle? I mean, you know, doing what I do, reading the crowd and, and just you know, like judging what they want to hear. Right. But, what do they want to hear in a castle in France? Fun shit. 
you know, party shit. ODB. You kind of dodged a little bit of that. question a little right. bit, man. Yeah, I need yeah. at least one song. <laughs> Did you have to wear like song? a tuxedo with like frilly, frilly, frilly shirt or some <laughs> nah, shit like that? it wasn't really or like that. Or a suit of armor, maybe. <laughs> um, I mean, I... I, I, I suit of armor. <laughs> Uh, yes, I, I had to DJ in a night's. So you're armor. a fancy mixtape DJ. Not really. Okay. I, I go where the music takes me. Right. So, you know, based off of that, I had done that, you know, and then I got brought into the conversation. Um, initially, I think they wanted to go a different direction. And I kind of pitched them on this idea as a, as a hip hop fan, as a basketball fan of, you know, rethinking how they approach music at a game. Right. And, and. I pitched them on it well enough that they created a position. Music supervisor did not exist before. Mm. It's never existed in any NBA team. There's lots of So DJs. you're in, the, in, in a Guinness? Are you in a Guinness Book of World Records? I don't know about you that. You need to make that happen, man. It's a, it's a subtlety. You need to claim that shit, man. Yeah, I think in I should. In this day and age when yep. motherfuckers don't claim that or they don't respect what you've... You got to claim that shit, Word. Jay. Nah, I mean, I, I think that to me it's all about the approach. And right. the approach was unique. And, you know... I like that's that's kind of how it came about and and from there it was like you know rocking a couple games and and it was real tentative at first but then it turned out well and then they asked me to to remix the theme song for the team and mm. it turned into this you know year long thing so you know the story behind it you know is a little sideways right. but it, it came together in the right way how do you feel about the brooklyn nets mascot man the mascot yeah i call him the brooklyn fuckboy by the way <laughs> I'm, sorry, I'm sorry i'm saying that a lot tonight i but have I'm, i have no problem with the brooklyn okay. night yeah. The Brooklyn Knight. The Brooklyn Knight. Try to fuck up you know, his I check combo. I just realized that it's Brooklyn Knight. Yeah. Did you know that? Uh, Brooklyn Knight? Yeah. That's how it you, came out. You didn't about. know that, right? Nah. Oh, wow. Yeah. A pun. Well, Brooklyn Knight. Well, and the Brooklynettes are the dancers. Have so. you ever seen the crowd in the Brooklyn Nets Stadium? Yes, I have. Many times. What are, who, are, who are they? Who are the it Brooklyn Nets fans? It is a cross-section of every type of person you can imagine in Brooklyn. It's uh, every race, gender, right. age, everything. I um, personally think it's uh, a lot of the people down there that are now living there that wear U-neck uh, t-shirts and thong uh, sandals. <laughs> Hmm. So that, that's I, I mean, think. listen, it's Brooklyn in 2013. There's going to be some of that. So do you pal around now with Jay Z, man? Uh, I don't pal around with him. I, I have been told by like, Jay. I've been told by a friend of mine that, that that he uh, he knows my name and he knows what I do. That's you know, big, right? Good enough for me. That's big. Yeah. But you guys have never had a conversation. I have not. I have talked to Young Guru about yeah. Jay Z and right. the fact that Jay Z knows me, but I have not talked to Jay Z about it. Okay. So going into this season, is is that still your position? Um, the position is still getting sorted out as far as exactly what it's going to be. But they got to work out that budget. Yeah, you know, like the way they have to work out the budget. I think they they uh, you know the first season the debut, a lot of that got got used. You got access to yes. tickets. Yes, you got access to tickets. But you, my friend, I ah! <laughs> yo, what else are we talking about? What else? What else, guys? I mean, I could go on all night, man. Yeah. What else you guys want to talk about? You take over, man. Man, it's my show now. Yeah, the white uh -oh. privilege, man. combat yeah. Adam show you coming at you. <laughs> no, for real, for real. What else are you guys working on, man? Um, you know, I actually besides this book just coming out, I actually published another book like two days ago. Also, it's a thriller. It's called The Dead Run. I heard about that. Yeah, yeah. It's a supernatural thriller, which is like a lane I've never run in before. It's a very different thing. It's it's the whole process is different. Like it's super fast paced, and every chapter ends with a cliffhanger, and it's all about upping the stakes and keeping the action moving and it was a lot of fun to write it's another one of those things that like go the fuck to sleep dropped and suddenly it was like yo can he write a thriller and i'm right. like yeah i can do that like i'm yeah i can try to run in that lane and so that came out uh a couple days ago congratulations thank you thank you thank you how's it doing uh too early to say but okay better now that combat jack is talking about it there I'm you sure. go there <laughs> yeah. you go now as an author man and as a as a successful author because you've put out several successful books do you have uh, groupies? 
I mean, I know you can't indulge in groupies because you're, you know, an established <laughs> paperback groupies with a child. But do you mm. do you have groupies? There's are are there literary groupies? There's a few women out there who enjoy literature, right? And yeah. they wear glasses and sometimes you do book signings. Sometimes they take them off. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you done book signings? Take them off. I do book signings. Yeah. Sometimes they take them off. <laughs> let, me find out, let me find out. He's signing breast on the book uh, book signing. Uh, no, 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 don't don't snitch on him, man. I'm <laughs> listen. No, how am I gonna snitch on him if he's in Barnes and Nobles? You don't think someone knows? Is there you know? Barnes and Noble anymore? I mean, yeah, there is Barnes. There's Bar- plenty of Barnes and Noble. I go there. I go to every Sunday. It's the other one that shut down. Yeah, border shut. Border down. shut down. Yeah, not a good look for. So, the, the so you're pretty world. fortunate, man, that the the, the publishing industry is is fucked up. The book publishing industry is fucked up, but you're finding success in that, man. Yeah, it's been it's been is I've been very lucky, and it's a little weird because like literally every writer I know is scrambling, trying to write for TV, trying to teach, trying to get various jobs, figure out different hustles just to stay afloat. And I'm talking about people who are super talented, have had success, have won awards. And those kinds of folks right now should not have to scramble the way they are, mm. but most of them are. Right. Um, I mean, I'm doing screenwriting and, and TV writing as well because it's something I want to do, but it's not like I'm lucky enough that it's not out of desperation. Um, one other thing I'm doing that I'm really happy to be doing right now is um, adapting one of my favorite children's books for the screen for a company called Park Pictures. Uh, it's a book called The Pushcart War, mm. a very New York book. Mm. It's about a war a miniature war between the truckers and the pushcart peddlers of New York City. I heard City. about that, man. My, my man. kids read that book. I bet they did. Yeah, it's they read, great. It's yeah. so good. Yeah, my so my good. sons were telling me about that shit. Yeah, man. yeah, yeah. A lot of schools like still keep it. Keep no, no. They, 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 they read that in that fancy, fancy private school private where, where Africa where, doesn't exist. Yeah, no Africa. Yeah, You're paying push, all that fucking money. Paying all that fucking money. <laughs> <laughs> for the murder burger and suicide for us. Yo, listen, man. It's been a pleasure having both you guys, man. Adam's yeah, man. man. Adam Man's back. J period. Um, Listen. Internets. I mean, what what can I say, man? You know, you guys have been great to us. This has been a great episode, man. Um, go to iTunes, like I said, subscribe, rate, comment. We need that. Um, do me a favor, hashtag fuckboy Dallas Penn. Um <laughs> what else are we talking about? That's it. You know what it is, man. Dream those dreams, man up and live those dreams, because a life without dreams is black and white and the universe flows in technicolor and surround sound, and A King is telling me A three C Atlanta. Oh, A three C Atlanta, but that's I mean this by the time this comes out. We're going to be out there. Yeah, A3C Atlanta. A3C Atlanta. A3C Atlanta. And we're out. F your radio. F your radio. Cheer. Yeah. No, man.